Welcome back to the Six Piece Podcast. It is fantastic to have your company for another episode today. We are up to Series 2, Episode E, and we're delving further into Rewindow. But today's episode is a super special one at that. We welcomed earlier on today to the Six Piece Podcast studio the great man, Mr. Jim Lord. He is a beast in so many facets of life, one of those being English. We sat down earlier on today for a bit of a bit of a chinwag about the film, and uh, we spoke about so many different themes and characters, and even the context as well. Uh, I think you'll find it a really insightful chat, and one which hopefully provokes some more ideas and some different pieces of evidence in your mind. So, without further ado, I bring you my chat with Mr. Jim Lord. We're joined today on the Six P's podcast by. Uh, Jim Lord, who's a fellow English teacher. How are you going today, Jim? Awesome. Thanks for having me. No worries Excited at all. Excited to be on this uh, prestigious podcast. Well, you know, if we, if we were going to have a first guest, definitely you were number one on, <laughs> on the list. So it is I'm great to have you Really, thank you. No worries. We're here to talk about Rewindow yep. and uh, your thoughts on the film. I guess I'll start with a really broad question. Mm-hmm. What is Rewindow about? I think, um, I mean, obviously you and I have both seen it numerous times um but it, there's something thematically and contextually that i notice each time but i think from a general and like you say broader point of view i think it's about hitchcock psychoanalyzing society and understanding that um that sense of anonymity um whether you're willing to admit it or not uh is something that everybody enjoys and that's why we become so well, despite being forced, so happily complicit with the protagonist because we kind of like the idea of being in the shadows and watching someone else's life unfold. Um, and I think, obviously, that spirals as, as it gets further and further entrenched in that. But, yeah, so voyeurism, I think, obviously, thematically is our access point. But, yeah, I think it's, it's Hitchcock's clever way of psychoanalyzing society and understanding that everyone enjoys that yeah mm. and is that nice parallel with, with thinking about people watching this in in a theater yep and the parallels there as well mm. with Alfred Hitchcock mm. himself are mm. you a massive fan of his work yeah yeah big um I used to run a used to run a class back at a school in camera called uh Filmer's text and he was a he was an integral part of of, of that unit um just because I think as well as, as being a theatre teacher and someone that really enjoys the theatre, it's it's so important to engage with your audience and have a relationship. And I think he's the master of that, obviously, colloquially as the master of uh, suspense. But um, he creates that because he understands the mindset and, like I said before, the, the internal uh, psychological... Um, positioning of the audience and I think whether it's um, birds or whether it's psycho or rear window he taps into uh, the everyday and the ordinary and creates something quite suspenseful out of it so yeah he's he's brilliant he's brilliant I mean you know he's a flawed flawed man in a lot of different ways but from a entertainment and filmic point of view yeah he's, he's he's brilliant and that's a really important part, I think, of studying this film is having that understanding of, of Hitchcock and his work. And, and you're right, when you talk about films like Birds, Vertigo and Psycho, they're still much as much relevant today and people still talk about them as much today as they were back mm, then. Mm. 
And even when I think of Rear Window, I think of the setting mm. and how amazing that was to put on a stage. Incredible. And how intricate it all was. And I know most of the listeners have probably done this, but delved into a bit of the trivia behind mm. the film. But mm. knowing that some of those characters could actually live in those apartments. Mm. Um, and Torso did. She did. The entire time, yeah. She did. So that's... I like that idea about, about voyeurism and... Mm. The idea that this film is a really, for me, like that representation or that reflection of what was happening at the yeah. time. And we often talk about including context information into our essays. And for me, this idea about McCarthyism and voyeurism, it's, it's that idea, I often get asked, does Hitchcock endorse voyeurism or doesn't he? And it's actually an open question. It, you can look at things either way. What are your thoughts with that? I think his inclusion, I mean, obviously it was a bit of a um, sort of uh, artistic motif of his to include himself in the film, which obviously, mm. you know, some great directors have done since and Tarantino and a lot. But I think that, that for me is a really good piece of evidence that, um, that he absolutely uh, uh, condones it, I guess. I mean, he, he, becomes, he becomes one himself. And I mm. think it's a very subtle inclusion in the film, but... He's winding the clock uh, in the composer in the songwriter's yeah. apartment. Uh, he doesn't just he doesn't just focus on the clock. He actually looks out the window, and I think for me that's a really nice acknowledgement of, of what you've prefaced there. I think um, I think again I'm, I know that I've sort of mentioned it a few times, but contextually, absolutely, I agree the McCarthyism and his understanding of the social context at the time, not only in regards to gender norms, but in the context that you've sort of mentioned in regards to voyeurism, that there was a mistrust um, amongst neighbours um, with Russian spies and yeah. the <laughs> propaganda around that. Um, and, yeah, absolutely, yeah, he, he understood that audiences would attend this film, whether it was in the back of their mind or the for, forefront of their, their thinking, that they didn't trust their neighbours. And, uh, and that's why... And as I said, I've said to my class, imagine a, a director walking into a film studio and pitching the idea of Rear Window. <laughs> it's it's not groundbreaking stuff, nah. but it, it works the same way that Psycho is still scary because everybody has to have a shower at some point. Yeah. Um, everybody. Uh, likes that anonymity but from a 1954 or 1950s context that everybody had that element of mistrust um, and I really like what you said about the the set I mean that that's coming back to again like not only was it Hitchcock pitching this idea so that had a lot more sway but but the idea of the set like and it's something to really talk about because as as you've said I'm sure people have unpacked the trivia but the idea that, that Jeffrey's apartment was actually the original ground level of the mm. film studio and and he waved his wand and said what he wanted and they knocked out the floor um, and, and built down into the basement. So although not necessarily something to include in your essay, it's absolutely imperative that you understand the power that this man had in that, in that industry yeah. and, and, and how he wished to use it. Mm. So let's focus on our protagonist, mm-hmm. LB, Jeff Jeffries. Yep. Uh, do we sympathise with him at all? Um, yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting question because I think the disparity amongst most viewers is going to come down to um, a lot to do with 
identifying with a particular gender mm-hmm. and how you view the film in that with that lens. Um, also, cultural and social upbringings, yeah. I think, can really affect the yeah. way, you know, that term shut up in some households yeah. is Massive, nothing. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's massive. That's it, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I definitely find his demeanour confronting. Um, but you also can see his frustration. I mean, he's, he's, she sort of, Elisa does speak over the top of him a lot, but I think the issue with his response is that it comes from a place of entitlement, patriarchal entitlement, that he really sees like he should be allowed to speak when he wants to speak and that there's that idea of subservience in the societal norms of the time. So in answer to your question, um, I don't sympathise with him, mm-hmm. um, but I've read some amazing essays of students yeah. that do. Yeah. Um, and I guess that goes to show the power of Grace Kelly yeah. and, and Lisa herself. And Hitchcock does this beautifully, and we talk about the costume, um, particularly with, with Lisa, how mm-hmm. emphatic it is and mm-hmm. how um, it's been designed and how it even um, contrasts with Jeffrey's mm-hmm. his plain clothing. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the lighting and the camera work. It all comes together to portray or depict Lisa as someone who's quite amazing. Mm-hmm. And someone who is able to balance her career with the relationship mm. and even her involvement then in the voyeurism and later on actually entering the apartment, which mm. I, I think that's... When I think about Reed Window, that's the scene I think yeah, of. Amazing, yeah. And I still don't know how she did that. Yeah. dress and heels and yeah. managed to climb into that apartment. Yeah, and, that, and that's the incredible... I'm going back to, this, to the start of, of, of this podcast when you mentioned about... Um, Hitchcock's power and success and um, skill is that yeah absolutely he, he there's definite intent behind um, the lighting and the costume yeah. and all the production areas that that uh, become so evident in your analysis but to scale that that wall so fluently um, wearing the attire is absolutely intentional mm. um, not only that but then the reaction shots and the cooler shot of mm. um of Jeffrey's almost feminine, stereotypically feminine reaction, uh, the he's jumpy, squeamish, quite squeamish, figure. isn't he? He's he's very squeamish. Um, <laughs> so, and that, that's obviously a motif throughout that um, Jeffrey's, you know, um, unknowingly struggles with. And I think that's a really important thing that there's a lack of awareness, which is probably going back to why I don't necessarily sympathise mm. with him because he's not aware of his of his flaws, and you know, none of us really yeah. are in that context, but. Um, He's a product of, of the patriarchal society at the time, and that's what Hitchcock challenges with scenes like the one you mentioned. Yeah. And we talk about marriage particularly and mm-hmm. this idea that he wants to keep things status quo. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I love that quote because literally he just wants things to stay the same forever. He doesn't want any responsibility. Yeah. He doesn't want to take things further, which I still to this day don't understand. If mm-hmm. Grace Kelly was wanting to marry you, why would you yeah, exactly. to say yes? Yeah. Um, but it does go to show too, I guess, and, and it, it is a society that is shifting. It's gone through World War Two mm-hmm. where women were working. Mm-hmm. And so there were lots of women like Lisa who were coming to grips with this idea about working and also maintaining relationship. Mm. For men, it was something they were confronted with, but for women, they still valued marriage, it seems. And I think mm. Lisa epitomises that idea of being able to balance both, both things, both aspects of her life. Yeah, and I think the thing, the difference between... Lisa and, and Lonely Hearts, for example, is that Lonely Hearts is about, you know, near the end of the film, is about to go to the greatest length yeah. to escape her societal pressure. Um, 
because her idea of marriage is so that she can become a member of society. Mm. Um, she has nothing, mm. um, no assets, potentially, you know, without creating a false backstory for her. But, in, you know, society at the time deemed women to not be members of society um, as single women. Mm. Um, uh, but Lisa, Lisa is different. Um, she's a product of the empowered female, like you said, that was forced to work because, long story short, everyone else was dead yeah. and they needed the women to, to work during that time. And like you said, popping out five years after um, post-World War II, they didn't want to go back. They had money, they had yeah. status, they had control of their own lives and, and that's absolutely epitomised um, and you know is manifested in, in the inclusion of Lisa. And I think it's important, I mean, going back to what you said about um, you know, why wouldn't you marry Grace Kelly? It's absolutely <laughs> spot on. That It's not an accident no. that he's chosen... You know, one of the deemed to be the most beautiful women of all women mm-hmm. of all time, uh, and most definitely in that time period and still today. Um, that's not an accident, um, and I think that's something that has to be acknowledged. That you know, men that male gaze and the, the audience at the time would have just been flipping out over, yeah. especially that really nice subtle slow motion freeze frame zoom of the yeah. extreme close up. Um, when we initially see her, I just think um, so so powerful, um, but also so um, empowered. She mm-hmm. she really had control of her own life, both financially, but also yeah, sexually, right. which yeah. is really important. And that's there's a couple of great um, symbols as well. You've got that cigarette box mm. um, that she wants to give him. It's two or eight, yeah. It's two or eight, yeah, is a quote. Uh, and then we've got the, the wedding ring too, obviously. And, of course, there's the overnight case, which is really a symbol of those shifting times. So not only is she sexually assertive, but look at the way that when Doral enters, he looks at it. Mm. We have that high-angle shot of him, POV shot of him, Mm. looking down on it. Mm. And even, you know, when he says, you know, um, do you tell your landlord everything, Mm -hmm. it does suggest that that shift of of times here when even the idea that um, all the portrayal of the couple with a dog up on the roof they sleep head to toe yep this yep. idea about marriage and, and what it's meant to be mm-hmm. and and i guess we're not too far away from the 60s which was seen as a really open time mm-hmm. um but lisa really is that representation of that sexual assertiveness absolutely and i think there's a there's a couple of moments in several other of hitchcock films like the the, the flushing toilet in psycho yeah. first time it was yeah. ever seen on film um not to mention the opening sequence when there's the uh, Adultery in the uh, yeah. in the in the sort of yeah. um, underwear and things like that. Yeah, she's um, wearing. Yeah. yeah, so I think similar with uh, with Lisa. One of the first things that she says is uh, asks about his love life yeah. um, with a posi- with with that clear literal dominance yeah. of frame. She's she's higher in the frame. He's sort of uh, yeah almost helpless, yeah. Um, almost paralysed in that sequence. Um, it would have been quite confronting for male audiences at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's this financial, um, I guess, lean to being a provider uh, with the with the um, cigarette case, um, and then you know the subtle, not so subtle hint of <laughs> marry me, and then obviously uh, one of my one of our favourite characters, Carl. Yes, uh, Uber eats Carl. That's right. Showing up, and, um, <laughs> and then she takes care of the bill. Yeah. Um, she she's organised it. She's uh, yeah. all these odd ideas, traditional ideas around courting mm. a male, court, courting a female, 
are completely reversed. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a really nice little sequence that I've mentioned in my class as well. Um, that he he the one bit of control that he tries to have is opening the bottle of wine or champagne. Yeah. Can't do it. Nah. So oh, Carl, has to <laughs> step in. Um, so he, there's little moments like that where he's just. Uh, he, he's he's completely helpless yeah. and lends itself to that isolation confinement, which obviously yeah. ultimately leads to his um, need to or want to to be a voyeur. So, yeah, really cool. And I like the idea of the the um, the case, the the cigarette case. I mean, that's that's what Jeffries wants. He wants yeah. that ornate, ornate lifestyle, yeah. and he wants to eat things that you wouldn't even look at when they're alive. And uh, and and Lisa doesn't. She wants a little bit of shine. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because he does try and overcome his emasculation by talking about his life as if it's he's eating rats and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And that's how he does it. And, you know, you don't have to be repulsive, Jeff. Mm. It is interesting, though, when he says to Stella initially, he goes, I want a woman that will do anything, go anywhere and do anything. And Lisa actually comes out and says, I'll do that. And yeah. he's the one that shuts her down. Yeah, he does. So even when she tries to be a part of his life, it's him. He's the one who's... At the end of the day, ultimately, he's the one that's not allowing her to do it. That's how he tries to maintain some sort of power and control in the relationship. Absolutely. And there's an inflated view of his own profession mm. as well. Like, Taking photos, mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's a photographer. Um, like, I don't... Excuse me. I don't see, see a huge difference in regards to the depth or complexity of profession yeah. that he deems to have over the fashion industry. Um, he... he He's earning less than her, but mm-hmm. for some reason deems his to be a lot more important. Not that financial no. um, recompense is the, the, the benchmark, but, but she's got her life in control. Yeah. And, and he's a bit all over the shop. But um, I really like I mean, Stella's, Stella's such an important inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now that you mentioned her, because um, just to go off on a tangent, if that's all right, but she's, she's um, I mean, I really see her as the, the conscience of the audience. Um, mm. She. Her delivery and her dialogue is clearly um, of a lower class base. Mm-hmm. Um, Except when she's she, quoting Reader's Digest. Yeah, Reader's Digest. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and that, that self-evaluation of not being an educated mm-hmm. woman, but ironically she is the most educated um, because there's a simplicity to her thinking, a simplicity to her philosophy. Um, and like you said, like... What, what's wrong with you? Why wouldn't you marry her? Yeah. Um, she's, she's too perfect. To yeah, marry. exactly. So, uh, and then that really nice connectedness with the, the lobster dinner and, yeah. and the comment that it's perfect as always. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Stella's, Stella's a really cool inclusion. But again, it all, despite the, um, the trepidation she shows and the, you know, the almost the lecture she gives him about being a peeping Tom and, yeah. the, and you know, the, the jail time that he's going to get, um, she spirals down too. So we're complicit with Jeffries in regards to our physical presence and our point of view. Uh, and philosophically, we're complicit with Stella because we, no matter who you are, you, you feel uncomfortable the first time you see Torso, yeah. um, especially when she sort of is warming up and, and, and bends over. It's, yeah. it's, it's an uncomfortable thing, no matter well, who you are. To quote Jackie Charles, she's flouting society's conventions. Exactly, exactly. And, and I, seeing the film so many times now, I always cast my eyes to the to the class yeah uh, to my class when <laughs> that scene happens and there's always a few several people that look yeah. away they feel yeah. uncomfortable and that's the idea uh, and we do too as the mm-hmm. audience um and so we really we really align ourselves initially with stella because she comes in and she's telling jeff off but she's telling us off too Correct. and we're like oh yeah yeah, yeah. 
fair fair point mm. but then she and so do we spiral into that very quickly yeah absolutely i do like stella not only because she does provide this um idea quite clearly about what how she views traditional marriage mm. what mm. it used to be and where it is now mm. you know that idea about psychoanalyzing each other which mm. we then see in the subsequent scene mm-hmm. with jeff and lisa yeah um, but i do like the fact as well that she does herself become involved the fact that you she also is quite compassionate towards those characters like she looks at Miss Lonely Hearts and yeah. because she's got the knowledge being a nurse, she sees what she, she's, yeah. she's about to do, yeah. um, forces Jeff then to call the police. Mm. And um, mm. I just love the way when she first looks out the window, I love that, that look that she gives as if she's staring around, mm. looking at him, taking it all in and then goes directly at him and, and mm. has a go at him. Mm. And, and she, I mean, little, little bits of evidence that, that you guys can use... Um, in discussing that idea of being complicit as an audience, which I've said several times, it's really important that you acknowledge that because everything mm. that Hitchcock does, right back to what we started with, everything Hitchcock does is is as a means to manipulate mm. his audience. And um, you know, Stella is a representation of the audience's conscience. I mean, she she uh, she actually gets the binoculars for she it. Does, and things yeah. like that. So there's there's things like that, and I think Lisa ends up grabbing lenses and things for him, and it becomes. Yeah. It becomes this sort of trio that spirals down. But yeah, you're right. I, I love the the phys- philosophical approach or the old school thinking, yeah. if you like, of Stella, um, because that's exactly what Jeff's doing. He, he's he's overthinking and yeah. um, you know almost like a yeah, like he says, it's almost like a, a business or a transaction that that's that has to be done. And um, you know, and then like you say, those scenes that ensue are direct mirror images of, of his thinking. I mean, while he's talking about the nagging wife, who do we see? Yeah, who yeah. do we see? Um, you know, the almost annoyance when he can't see what the helicopter pilots get to see, yeah. things like that. So it's direct mirror images throughout the entire piece. Yeah, and that's why that Kuleshov effect is so mm. important. And when you do go to um, analyse that. Just be really clear about it. It's, it's the idea that we get his reactions, and not mm. just his either. We do get a couple of other characters, but mm. it is his reaction, and we see when he um, feels a little bit guilty, mm. or where he feels like what he's doing is unethical, or when he's curious. We get the, this gamut of emotions, and we get that from that one, two, three yeah. shot, especially there close. Yeah, up. and that's and that's a really clear. It's great. It's a great um, sort of. Know, dissection of that mm. film technique because there is that reaction shot but it doesn't give us necessarily the entire story correct um so the Kuleshov is an amazing uh, yeah. amazing film technique and and yeah really and intentionally utilize so you, you yeah. actively look for it yeah. don't be afraid to no. to find them and sometimes we're sort of surprised like when he's using the binoculars in one of the first times mm. um we see him Put, put them down and we think oh he's thought about it it's unethical but yeah. then he goes to grab the lens mm. and we realise we're actually quite surprised yeah. oh actually he wants to get a better look at things yeah, absolutely absolutely and there's a really nice um, really nice sort of insight into his into his thinking with the, the idea of the guilt um, the Kuleshov effect with the newlyweds yeah, um, that he's absolutely. like all of a sudden he doesn't feel super comfortable um because he's yeah he's he's it's almost like he's gone too far that it's yeah. pure um, <laughs> this this is this idea and this like almost that they, they can't wait to embrace each other and then the landlord comes back in and yeah. they sort of shyly separate and then he leaves and then they they're back yeah. into it and it's this uh, this idea of purity that that he doesn't understand it's no. not his his philosophy or marriage so it's a really nice one with the cooler mm-hmm. if you want to access themes about marriage and domesticity and his views and values around that yeah. And um, again, with 
some great secondary characters there, and I think yeah. the, the the newlyweds um, allow for that discussion on you're right on domesticity and, and marriage, and even at the very end, we know that final scene when she's having a go at him, saying, "If you, I know you quit your job, I never would have married you." That I'd hear about how that's Jeffrey's assumption of how marriage works. It's yeah. suffocating. Even we see the husband reach out the window fresh to air. get some fresh air. And we get those parallels with the Thorwalds. Is that how it sort of works? You know, yeah. it's it's the, it's the nagging wife, and it sort of comes to fruition. Yeah, not just that. That um, not just the nagging wife, but the, the isolation and confinement. Mm. I mean, yes, uh, there's a bit of. I think Thorwald's wife puts a bit of mayo on it. Obviously, she's mm. not as bad off as she may make out, but but Jeffries is exactly the same. Yeah. He's. I mean, he is Mrs. Thorwald, and Lisa is. is Mr. Thorwald. Like he's. So there's this there's this direct reflection. I mean, if you imagine. Jeffries is an empty vessel or jug. Yeah. I mean, it's those, like you said, those secondary characters that fill fill up his personality or lack thereof in yeah, some moments. That's so. a great analogy to use, actually. You know, I, I encourage everyone to, to go out and do that. Is work out which parts of which characters mm-hmm. have reflected in him. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Anna Thorwald there. Mm-hmm. I, I think she's a great character just mm-hmm. to discuss for a moment. Um, the first thing I'll say is um, how I see the mirroring is when she ridicules Lars when he brings in dinner for her, mm-hmm. she grabs the flower, he put a flower on mm-hmm. the tray and she throws it away and laughs at him. And I just think that reflects so nicely with Jeffrey's how he continually ridicules Lisa mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so many things. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, she's murdered in this film yep. and she dies. Yep. But we don't, at the end, I mean, we don't really feel for her, no. do we? Yeah, in a gruesome fashion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right, it's... It's um, it's. I think it comes back to that anonymity. Like we, we never access. We always get to see what we only get to see. Um, what Jeff sees. So yeah. we never actually find any emotional connection with any characters. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you know, torso is purely aesthetic, hence yeah. her name. Um, and and so we. I think if the film was shot differently from another director, we may. We may be inside their apartment. We may be able to see and and get to know those characters and see some development, but we don't. And I think that's that's a real nod to the allegorical nature of, um, you know, ultimately he's proven correct, but... um, you know the, the allegorical idea of, of mistrust and and you know the Cold War and yeah, McCarthyism and, yeah. and all of that stuff around um, you know kind of ratting on your friends colloquially. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, absolutely, she's she's a great character, but it there is exactly a murder. But the thing yeah. that we feel most confronted by is when Lars looks down the lens with that break of the fourth wall, yeah. which is an amazing shot, one of the most famous in, in film history, mm-hmm. and also his uh, entry into the apartment because yeah. because we are Jeff. Yeah. We don't have a connection with Anna no. Thord. We've got a connection with solving a case to be proven correct. Yeah. Uh, and then we're confronted because, oh, crap, we've been yeah. busted. Yeah. And it's that great line when he says, what do you want from me? And there's yeah. silence. Yeah. It sort of suggests Jeffries doesn't know. Yeah. We don't know exactly. either. We sort of do we just want to know. We're, yeah. we're curious. And that yeah. comes down to, in essence, human nature. Yeah. It's... And even the dog, which is quite curious as well, and quite an innocent sort of well, yeah. not a character. It's an animal, but yeah. it's a curious sort of animal, yeah. and that how it dies, and yeah. it's 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 significant. Mm. And that's that's the only time there's some real emotion in the film mm. is the death of the dog, which really highlights the disparity um, between that emotional outburst and the, I guess, really the lack of empathy and connection from the neighbours around them. Mm. Um, they don't. 
not that they don't care, but they don't come out of their they really no. come out of their individual bubbles to try and sort of console or to help um and then so it's only Mr. Lonely Hearts. It's only only it, Lonely Hearts really? that has that empathy and, yeah. and that's the idea of of um of her emotional mindset. Mm. Um but yeah, I, I mean I, that's that's more sad than, yeah, than correct. Anna Thor's death, <laughs> which is yeah. And again that come it comes down to pers- perspective. Mm. Mm. And we are cemented in Jeffrey's apartment, really. We rarely get to leave it. And that's, again, it goes down, comes down to Hitchcock and the way that he makes this film. Mm. So following um, the murder and, the, and one of my, one of my favourite parts of the film is when he gets arrested and it takes him 16 seconds mm. to tell them all yeah. about what he's done, where the body is, Let's why he killed the dog. the credits. <laughs> yeah. um, the closing sequence I mm. really mm. like because it tells us so much and in so little time and it's that nice circular coming back to the establishing sequence. So I want to talk about Miss Lonely Hearts and the ending for her. Yeah. Is this, her relationship now with the songwriter, is this a good thing for her and for women or is it not? Is it is she part of this cycle where she needs just needs to find someone? Uh, I think it's a good question. I think, I think the fact that she had given up um, and was willing to go to the lengths that she was going to go to, I think allows us to believe that it's real happiness at the end, that um, she had given up all hope. Um, and, th- I mean, there's real, there's re- there's a real happy emotion. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's, all, that's all legitimate and authentic, I think. Um, I think the songwriter's a great character because struggling to um to finish his composition and then the comment from lisa it's like he's playing especially for us and it's a broken it's a broken composition obviously symbolic of the broken relationship they have and then by the end by the end there's a completion both with the song with uh lisa and jeffrey and also for the songwriter uh and lonely hearts and i think that diegetic Motif throughout oh, is, is really powerful. Yeah. Um, so, look, I, I view it as 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 authentic yeah. in the end, absolutely. And there is that nice reflection because um, Lisa does see herself as Miss Lonely Hearts. <clears throat> Jeff doesn't. Jeff sees her as Miss Torso, and that mm. goes down to that idea of the male gaze. Mm. But it is nice how they <clears throat> both are moved by this music. I mean, you had that long shot of them together, both yeah. looking out the window. Mm. And then at the end, obviously, both in what seems to be quite happy and committed relationships, which is which is great. Yeah, I mean and, that that last shot's pretty amazing, and that's yeah. that's what creates a lot of debate. Going back to what I was saying about yeah, pretending, you know, pretending. Sorry, um, acknowledging how you view the film, yeah. both from a gender point of view um, or a social cultural point of view. That um, I've heard a lot of people say that she she um, gave up. Yeah, that Lisa gave up. But she's um, hiding, she, yeah. She's, she's hiding, she's, she yeah. subservient. I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't see it that way. No, I don't either. I think she's the the uh, compromise that she's made yeah. um, is intentional. It's it's uh, calculated. Yeah. Uh, hence, you know, removing the, the Himalayas book into yeah, the fashion magazine. Um, and we've sort of spoken about yeah. it um, with the, you know, wear, literally wearing the pants. Yeah. Uh, I just think there's a real comfort with, like you said, with yeah. those who are really comfortable, really happy. But I, I still really see her as being the powerful. Yeah, and there's that look she gives as well. Like 
Pe- as I said, people say that, oh, no, she's, this is what she has to do as a woman in this society. She has to hide part of her from her husband. But no, it's not that at all. It's look at the looks that, that, that she gives. It's almost devious. Like, yeah, she is. Absolutely. She's there going, oh, I'm yeah, going to pull the wool it's, it's, over your eyes here. Yeah, which is great. And, I, and that's why she's such a powerful character from the start to the end. Yeah. And um, he's proud of her. He says that. He says yeah. he's proud of her. And, and he looks up at her in that final, or the penultimate um, mm. scene when he's broken both his legs and he looks up at her and goes, I'm so proud of you. And that's that, that, that look that he gives her is one of just complete admiration. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have said that she kind of, she has to scale that wall to prove something to him. I don't necessarily see it that way. I think she ultimately does prove herself to yeah. him. But she doesn't give it a second thought. No. She's she's straight out. She takes yeah. control of that situation. Yeah. And as a result, he has yeah. a lot of respect for her. And, and he deems that to be, I guess, the, the sort of tipping point for him into respect and admiration, yeah. like you say. But I don't believe she she has to sort of psych herself up to do that. No. Um, that's just innate. It is. And, like, um, and she even says that. It's a, oh, let's go. Let's yeah. go dig it um, up. She and off she goes. Exactly. And I think that coupled with the looks at the end. I think yeah. that, that, for me, really highlights the the control. And manipulation is a bit of a negative word, yeah. but I think um, I she, know, she knows yeah. what she's doing. Yeah, she does. Yeah. And I do like the fact, what got her involved in, in this case was mm. the handbag. It's, it's it's a fashion thing. It's a yeah. career that got yeah. her, that yeah, got her yeah, absolutely. into it. That idea of female intuition. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, if you go back, you'll see so many of the male characters, they do underestimate women in this mm. film. And mm. ultimately, it's the women who have proved to be strong. Mm. Mm. And female strength is seen not just in Lisa and Stella, but you see it with Miss Lonely Hearts mm. and Miss Torso have to fend men away from them. Yeah, that's 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 really that's that's a really confronting scene, mm. obviously with Lonely yeah. Hearts. The what she the position she's meant she's uh, willing to put herself yeah. in um, in order to be valued in society. Um, obviously, takes control in the end of the situation, but could have obviously Absolutely. been. And the fact the blinds are kind of half shut, yep. those Venetian blinds, mm. only adds to the um, the angst and the, and the um, sadness we really do feel for her by the end. And then obviously she breaks down and cries. And yeah. um, again, we're looking down on her the whole film. Yeah, there's that status, um, yeah. implied status from Hitchcock for us and for Jeffries um, that, yeah, we're always using that high angle shot that we're always looking down um, literally and, and, you know, um, figuratively in a sense of status and I think the idea of the blinds being drawn is that um, yeah she doesn't let us look in as as much as the others um, she is a she is she deems herself to be half a character yeah. um, because she's not socially complete yeah. um, hence she, she's a spin star she is say. exactly exactly which is a really negative connotation it it's was, like absolutely. you're not good enough to get married yeah which I think um, is not only the length she goes through with with the sort of the gentleman um, caller but also yeah. that amazing shot when we see her at the end of the alleyway um, with the yeah. kind of um, colour palette being quite a little bit darker and and she's, uh, you know, most people have got the sleeves rolled up and it's pretty relaxed kind of, yeah. you know, after, after work drinks. And she's decked. Yeah, to the nines, as they say. As they say, decked <laughs> out. And, uh, and she has to go into this little, what looks to be fairly relaxed and social yeah. environment. Um, and dominated by, by men as well. Yep, um, to, try and, to try and win yeah. um, win a man and, yeah. and win her place in society, where, which is obviously 
such a clear um, disparity with Lisa and her control and influence. That's it. Mm. So we've sort of come to the end. Yeah, cool. Uh, awesome. Now, Jim Lord, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add about Rewindow? Uh, look, I think not necessarily about the film in general specifically. I think more to do with, like, this is just two Jim yeah. blokes yeah. Um, <laughs> having a chat. And what's important is that, yeah, cool, hopefully you've got a couple of little bits here and there, but we sit down and watch the film the same as you guys yeah. will. And I think it's really important that you value your individual interpretation. Um, the student in my class, uh, Vittorio, actually, shout out to Vittorio, yeah. um, he noticed something that I hadn't really noticed before. I mean, with the, the, the positioning of the candles, uh, with that parallel action of... Because we always talk about the raising of the glass yeah, with yeah, uh, yeah. Jeffries and, and Lonely Hearts, the yeah. parallel, the two lives or the two contexts. But... There's a lot of things set up mm. the same way, the candles, yeah. and that's little symbols like that are great. And you've just got to find those little motifs. Sometimes yeah. they'll reach a dead end, or sometimes yeah. you'll open a door into amazing complexities and all these new ideas that can um, that can ice, uh, highlight, sorry, that connectedness throughout the film. So, I guess closing point: just back your individual interpretation. That's that's what it's about. Um, you know, if you can prove it, you can write it. So, yeah, and good luck what, to everyone. That's what we love about images. Mm. And it's it's a pain as well, but there's no one right, what, uh, no. one right way to do yeah, things. Correct. There's not even one right way to write an essay. There correct. are thousands of ways that you correct. can do it. And we find that when we get those unique interpretations, when we mm. get those really cool pieces of evidence that we don't normally see, that sort of... Our, our eyebrows go up and we go, that's interesting. We yeah. really like that. So while those... Mm. important scenes are yep. you know crucial yep. and you should be using them from time yep. to time do try and find that little nugget if you can because yeah, you go a long way absolutely and get it into your drafts I think that's really yeah. important because there'll be sometimes your teacher will say well I like your idea but um You've, you've, it's too it's it's too much of a left field inclusion. So you might have to go back and find another symbol or motif or some sort of allegorical or thematic thematic connection. Um, so don't don't save all your great ideas for your, for your um for your sack. Try and get them out so you can have that discussion with your teachers. Great, Jim Lord. It's been a pleasure. We hope to get you back on the podcast. Oh, I'd love to. That's great. Later yeah, on this year, be great. Yeah, thanks for having me. No worries at all. We'll see you next time on the Six Piece Podcast.